episode 394 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of many topics. And uh, listeners, you might be surprised to see a couple two-part episodes back-to-back-to-back like this. That's just because of scheduling issues and because it's December and we're doing Game of the Year and year-end stuff and anniversary stuff. And so it's all a little weird right now. But one thing that is not weird is is we have three panelists here excited to talk about Dragon Age Origins, a 2009 classic of the uh, PS360 era. But who's joining me today? They are Wes Island. Hey, everybody. And Alex Frenchek. What? Dra- Dragon Age Origins? I thought we were playing Dragon Age Oranges for this podcast. I have been calling it Dragon Age or- Oranges as a, a, a friend, a, sort of an inside joke with friends, and then just a me saying it all the time thing since I first played this game 12 or 13 years ago. But uh, I am clearly trying to enunciate, enunciate Origins instead of Oranges, but I am probably going to slip up at some point or another. Um, but uh, yeah, Dragon Age oranges why not uh is a (laughs) an action rpg from bioware in 2009 um that is a a very specific time and place within video games because uh, that was i I would say like around the middle of the ps wii 60 era where the wii ps3 and xbox 360 dominated the console gaming landscape um but also steam and uh and pcs with online storefronts had been active uh for several years by then so pc gaming was uh was thriving in mainstream when it had been much more niche and limited uh and and limited in the say 90s to early 2000s basically it was a it, it was a new age of um video game accessibility and prominence especially since that ps wii 60 era lasted sort of like eight years instead of a console cycles more typical five or six years so it's I think that's a very interesting specific time for video games, but Dragon Age Origins was right in the middle of it as a big budget, high profile RPG. When um, I, 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 I personally don't think of that time as being a great era of of JRPGs, and and I, you know, I'm someone that grew up on a very steady diet of Japanese RPGs through the 16 bit uh, and and playstation and ps2 eras um I, I won't go first today uh, starting with you wes what's your sort of background with dragon age origins and what are your thought thoughts on it within the landscape of video games in the late 2000s no i i was really excited when the game was announced primarily because they had really advertised the console version as something being analogous uh to like knights of the old republic and how that worked um even though it's clearly also a spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate, that that connection to an RPG series that I had adored for years made me really, really excited. And then the the origin system just kind of built on top of it. So I I, I played it on day one, and it was probably the most I've ever actually like put thought into role playing in a video game RPG in my life um, to this day. Um, and I think that's part of what made it kind of special in its time. It it brought the idea of these really dense computer RPGs to console fans in a really accessible way, which made this really broad audience for what is normally kind of a niche type of game. And it really opened up the doors. There are a lot more big, dense console RPGs that are popular with, with you know, almost anyone, regardless of what platform they're playing on or how hardcore of a gamer they are. And I think Dragon Age Origins has a lot to say about that. 
Totally agree. Uh, Alex, same question to you. Like, um, what's your general personal background with Dragon Age Oranges, and <laughs> and um, how many? And uh, what what's your feeling on its place within video games around that time? So, uh, like you, actually, um, I I didn't really have uh, like I was much more of a, a Japanese RPG person. I, I was a big console baby growing up. Um, so most of my gameplay experiences were from from consoles uh, from this early era. So I actually didn't come around till uh, Bioware stuff until like the early 2010s when I had like a laptop that could uh, very very poorly uh, run games like Kotor and, and Jade Empire, which I, I tried those games for the first time and. I always, I always wanted to play those games. I always thought like Western RPGs were cool with like different decisions you could make and uh, how that would shape like the direction of the story. Uh, but I never really had much exposure to them because the, the consoles I did have were, were never the Xboxes either. So I didn't play uh, those games on console or like Mass Effect on console when, when they first came out either. Um, so I didn't really have much of a history with Dragon Age, especially um, until this year, honestly, um, when I just uh i have a series x now uh so i have the the whole trilogy on game pass and uh, i just acknowledge dragon age as this massive blind spot in my um knowledge of like the 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 really big rpg uh canon uh so i decided hey i'm gonna check all three of these games out just to see what they were like so i actually played the first couple hours of all three of the dragon age games uh, just earlier this year, uh, just to see what they were like, and uh, Origins did stick out to me as probably the the most interesting one, and the, it's the one I put the most time into. And um, now this this podcast was a, a great opportunity to to pick up on that, and I'm excited to play my way through the whole thing. Excellent. And um, at the risk of having this run over long, I, I think I want to talk about my. My, my sort of upbringing and relationship with Western RPGs. I maybe talked about that a little bit in our episodes on uh, Mass Effect and KOTOR, which were all in the last two years. Generally, when I grew, I grew up with a, with uh, PC gaming and I, I played a lot of, I didn't really play a lot of RPGs. I played a lot of civilization and um, city building games like Roller Coaster Tycoon or, and, uh, and educational games like Carmen Sandiego. But uh, other than, you know, dalliances with Warcraft and Starcraft and, and Civ, I, I didn't do a lot of PC gaming and mostly was console consoles and handhelds. But that sort of changed when I got my co- my university laptop. And and I went to college in, in basically the second half of the 2000s. So and, and I, uh, I think I downloaded Steam um, my maybe my my freshman or sophomore year of college. I uh, I got I, I got into Diablo one and two in a big way in those uh, in those days when I when I could, wasn't allowed to have it on my family's home computer. I, I never had my own computer until my college laptop. And again, like Steam was getting huge then. And uh, but I, I think also around this time, around say Mass Effect time, um, consoles were getting powerful enough, and UI was getting good enough, and uh, that uh, I, I think that console RPGs and computer RPGs really started to merge like like they weren't like like uh i mean i mean if you were play if you played Baldur's gate in 1999 or whatever uh it was unthinkable to have that thing on a console um like like famously diablo one was so weird on the playstation um one diablo one save took up the entire an entire memory card oh my god it it, it is i think i i could but my numbers could be off by a little bit but i think a ps1 memory card had uh 
I think it was either 16 or maybe 24 blocks, but Diablo one took up an entire one. Um, but, and, and, but also things like, uh, like extra downloadable content or expansion patches or, or full expansions were commonplace and on PC games as early as the middle nineties, but weren't really a thing at all on consoles. Like, I mean, the, the, the modem on the PS2 is barely functional, but mass effect and dragon age, you know, just sort of being part of this, of this uh, merger of sorts, or the or the singularity of sorts, and 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 these games were two thousand seven and two thousand nine. Um, both of them had a lot of DLC, and that was that's that's mostly good and exciting DLC. And we'll talk about the Dragon Age and uh, DLC a little bit, but I, I recommend most of it. Um, so anyway, all this was sort of happening around the same time. I was getting into Western RPGs that were PC locked. Uh, um, for the first time in the late 2000s, I tried to play KOTOR and Jade Empire, um, but for some reason I couldn't. My uh, my video card didn't agree with Co- with the Steam version of KOTOR. I don't know exactly why. But Same. I, yeah, but I I was able to play Jade Empire just fine in I don't know somewhere in the 0809 range. And uh, again, I pl- I played a lot of weird loot loot RPGs like uh, Torchlight and Sacred, and uh, and I, I'll, I'll, some of which I are. are I could recommend another others I wouldn't. Um, but I played uh, Mass Effect and Dragon Age basically back to back right around 2010, 2011. And uh, I had a PS3 and not a 360, so it was a little strange. I had a uh, I, I played Mass Effect one on PC and then two and three on PS3 and Dragon Age Origins all all on PS3 um, well, in the Ultimate Edition, which I think uh, and I got the Ultimate Edition sort of right when it came out. So Dragon Age and all the DLC for uh, 50 or 60 bucks, about a year or a year and a half after the original version came out. Um, and I loved it. Uh, I am not I was not excited to go back to PS3 load times or anything. So I f- I'm playing uh, Dragon Age Origins on PC this time. I'm doing uh, EA online with an ancient EA Origins account that I forgot that I had. <laughs> uh, but um, I fired up Dragon Age Origins uh, earlier this month. Well, actually, okay. Well, we're recording in November now, but this episode is going to come up is going to be going in December. Uh, so I've been playing it off and on um, the past few weeks, but have been mostly focusing on Bloodborne, which I was trying to, which I was racing to finish in time for the podcast last week. But uh, yeah, I love this game. I was obsessed with it for two or three years. I beat it, I, I think, four times in three years in the early 2010s. And but I haven't played it in uh, probably since 2014 or so. And I'd, I'd have to go back and double check. Um, but I'm starting with a fresh file this time, so I don't have all the classes unlocked for me, or I should say all the specializations unlocked for me. But uh, yeah, this has been so such a weird specific nostalgia for me going back to this game because this is like the couple of years after I finished college, but was still living with my parents. And I was going to house parties with a, at, at my twenty-somethings friends' houses and moving into my first place uh, in in twenty twelve, the, the house where I still am now. Like for some reason, this is just a different kind of nostalgia than going back to my childhood in the nineties or the or my RPG obsessive era in the two thousands. This is this is me sort of being more like me playing Dragon Age and games on Steam for the first time in the late two thousands. Felt like me being a grown-up gamer for the first time. And 
Uh, yeah, in the I, I didn't play Dragon Age Origins right at launch, but I did play Dragon Age Two and Inquisition um, on their launch weeks, and uh, uh, same thing for Mass Effect Three in 2012 around the same time. And uh, yeah, an, an obsession was born. Um, and I because Bioware has not had an easy time of it as late. I'm very weirdly wistful and nostalgic for just this specific era of Bioware from like uh, 20, 2007 to 2014. And Dragon Age Origins was a huge part of it. And again, that, that went way too long and I apologize. But uh, Dragon Age Origins is special to me and this is my fifth time uh, running through it. <laughs> oh, it's funny how uh, for both of us, like Bioware was like our, our college our college games, essentially, because uh, it's the same thing for me. I played through the whole Mass Effect trilogy, uh, exposed myself to like the Bioware games on Steam uh, when I went to college, because that was like I didn't have all my consoles with me, so I just like installed it and started checking it out. And funny enough, I played all of KOTOR and KOTOR 2 uh, in windowed mode, because that was <laughs> the way I could get my graphics card to actually run the damn things. Uh, but worth it. <laughs> I had the weirdest error when I tried to play KOTOR like 15 years ago. Um, it was like I, I could start the game just fine. But whenever I entered battle, I uh, I completely lost control of the camera and and uh, and and I would, I would get stuck in specific menus. It was it was completely bizarre. Um, I ended up playing it on the switch um, a, uh, a year and a half, two years ago <laughs> um, to, to finally play it for the first time. Still, honestly, not a bad way to play it. Those no, games are surprisingly tuned for consoles. Yeah, and again, and Kotor is a 2003 game, so uh, having having a you know a 2017 machine uh, be able to run run it was, you know, I'm I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad there wasn't any issues with it, but I'm not really running into any issues right now with Origins. It's um um again because this is a game that runs fairly smoothly smoothly on PC. And has way, way less load times and less chunkiness than I remember from the PS3 version many years ago. Yeah, I'm playing on uh, on my Series X, and it's got like a really nice uh, resolution and, and frame rate boost. That uh, it's just like it feels like very perfectly optimized, and I'm having a good time running running it well and having like zero load times. Wes, how are you running this thing? I'm also running on Series X, uh, which had all my DLC still saved from when I played this the first time back on 360, uh, which is really nice. So I got to go and dig in and maybe bought a little bit more DLC. Um, <laughs> I, I I was a sucker. That's some long-term continuity, though. That's 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 cool. <laughs> I can't believe it carried me through that long. I'm not exactly sure how the DLC works for my origin slash EA online version of this game. Um, because I don't have the blood dragon armor, but I have all of the other DLC, but also the way that um, both on the PC and console versions, uh, the way you unlock certain things is um, things will carry over to the dragon age origins main, main game. If you complete achievements or trophies in the DLC. So like the, uh, if, if you um, get the, uh, Oh boy, the achievement for finding all of the clothing pieces in uh, Leliana's song. Then you get the battle dress of the Provocateur armor unlocked in Origins, which I'm considering doing because that's like one of the best rogue armors, <laughs> and uh, I and I really could use it right now. Um, but and but similarly with 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 classes, uh, there are there are uh, twelve specializations in this game. There's there's three classes: warrior, rogue, and mage. 
and each one has four specializations that gives you seek that give you extra skills um that you normally have to unlock them in the game but in future playthroughs if you have the achievement for unlocking the specialization it comes automatically unlocked for you for in the future so for some things like the blood like blood mage where you can only unlock it as a mage or uh things that are there that are contingent on um much later parts of the game like i don't think you can unlock champion until you uh until you complete redcliffe uh, for future playthroughs, everything that you've unlocked in the past will be unlockable again. So that's really handy and uh, makes it a little bit harder to go back with with uh, in a, when my I have this game almost platinumed on the on the play on the PS3, but here I have to basically start cold with uh, not even the blood dragon armor that you normally get for free at the beginning. Uh, uh, Wes, you mentioned the origin system when you were introducing yourself a little bit. Yes, I did. And that is something that is not necessarily unique to Dragon Age, but something that they really uh, ride with as being one of the sort of signature parts of the game. Um, and, and of course, we all know this, but I, I explain things as we discuss in case uh, a listener is coming in for education and not, and not for uh, and, and not for nostalgia necessarily. Um, there are six origin stories in Dragon Age Origins that you pick one at the beginning, and that serves as your first hour or two of gameplay before the proper story sets up sets up and uh that origin gives introduces some characters and concepts gives you your background um is somewhat determining determining of your uh, starting race and class and uh basically is just sort of the chapter one of the game so um the, the six origins are uh circle mage human noble city elf dalish elf dwarf commoner and dwarf noble uh, uh wes what was your origin and uh give us the abridged version of how it starts out so uh i started with the circle mage origin um which is the only way to be a mage and i wanted to try it for the first time here essentially uh you get introduced to the circle system wherein um, mages are kind of second class citizens um semi-imprisoned while they are trained and and very much watched like hawks by the Templars who um, watch them for any kind of acting out because mages are very powerful and very dangerous as a result of that. And you are essentially caught in between um, a friend doing something uh, not quite above board um, and, you know, trying to help, trying to turn them in, trying to decide how you're going to handle um, being on the outside of what's right and proper as a circle mage. Um, we would talk more about the Templars and the mages very soon, but, yes. uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I did the circle mage origin, uh, when I first played the game, cause I, I wanted to be a mage right away. Mages are crazy powerful in dragon age origins. Um, we'll, we'll get into your specialization a little bit later. Uh, uh, Alex, um, for this playthrough, what was your, uh, origin that you chose and how did it go for you? Uh, so I did the Dorf, Dorf Noble origin, uh, and, and have been very, very pleased with it. Um, I know it's like literally in the name of the game, but like the the origin stories to to start the game off, like like Chef's Kiss, like what a what a cool idea, what a good way to situate yourself like in the world and like really establish your kind of role playing identity for like a Western RPG. Uh, I I can't think of another Western RPG that made me feel like so immersed in my specific character role as this one, uh, and. I've heard the Dorf Noble origin is arguably like 
one of the best ones, if not the best. Uh, so I'm not sure if this carries to all of them, but I, I can imagine it, it might. Um, but yeah, the, the Dwarf Noble origin basically throws you into the the backstabby, cutthroat uh, politics of the Dwarf world. Uh, you're essentially um, the middle child in a uh, Dwarf uh, like dynasty, a royal dynasty. Uh, you have uh, an older brother and a younger brother. The older brother is comes off as like very uh, arrogant and uh, he's kind of next in line for the throne and is very kind of show off about it. Uh, There really isn't much like kind of cuddly family dynamics here. It's all pretty uh, cutthroat and like kind of cold and and detached, but uh, kind of like plays to like just the the strength of these characters at the same time. Um, One of the coolest moments of the Dwarf Noble story was... um, going to like there's a tournament essentially being held like in your your honor because you're like uh although you're the middle child you're still like held up as like this great champion uh so you can go attend um this this uh this tournament being held in your honor and you can actually decide to not just watch the tournament but actually uh participate in it even though that's kind of like going against like the protocol um but i saw that decision i'm like hell yeah of course i'm gonna do that that's that's really awesome uh so i participated in the tournament i won it uh and it really just added a lot to how i saw my character how uh i started like seeing my character as someone who um just values strength and battle above everything else uh so that kind of made me think that okay maybe my dwarf noble isn't as into the political side of things he just wants to uh to fight the dark spawn and be a great champion and um a lot of other kind of like backstabbing happens. Uh, it turns out your your younger brother actually ends up uh, betraying you, even though you're kind of led to believe that your your older brother is out to get you, um, and your older brother actually ends up getting murdered by your younger brother and framing you for it. And so you're cast off uh, into the the Dwarven tunnels where where all they've been like battling the Darkspawn for for centuries essentially, uh, and that's how, where you run into the the Grey Wardens and. Um, I just my my dwarf noble Duran Idukin um, is, is very just proud to be a gray warden and have like the status of of being someone who uh, just wants to to kick butt of darkspawn and be be a, as great of a warrior as possible. So I'm having a really good time with the the game, and part of it, a big part of it, is due to how well the the origin story was portrayed. Oh boy, Alex, you threw out some words there like Darkspawn and Grey Warden <laughs> that, that we'll definitely get to very soon. Um, I, I should mention, I played all six uh, Origins um, years and years ago and I was super deep into Dragon Age. And my, my two favorites are Dwarf Noble and City Elf. So uh, like I was I was excited to hear that um, you were uh, made that one your main playthrough. Um, but, but also you can choose your character's appearance, gender, and class for any of those origins other than circle mage where you're locked into being a mage. Um, uh, 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 you mentioned your uh, dwarf nobles, a male, what, what, uh, what class did you go with? Uh, I went uh, warrior. Um, I'm just going uh, sword and shield, big tanky dwarf guy. Uh, feels appropriate for my character. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, just like taunting, taking hits and, and shield bashing my enemies down has a really nice crunchy sound to it yeah too. taunt it. uh was it taunt threaten shield bash pommel mm-hmm. strike yeah it's all, all you need jazz. yeah uh and wes i mean we know that you're locked into the mage job but uh 
are you a guy or a lady? And did the um, and, and did you go with human or elf? Uh, lady and human, because uh, most of my main playthroughs of like every Dragon Age game, I can do so as an elf. Um, I have a soft spot for the elves in the Dragon Age universe, so I figured, ah, why not try something different for once? I had I had also done all of the origins when the game first came out. After after beating the game, I had to see all the rest of them. Oh yeah, I, I had the same attitude. My my very first playthrough was a human uh, uh, circle mage, but I ended up doing all the ones after that, and then eventually did a full rogue playthrough as a city elf, a, a second circle <laughs> mage playthrough, and then a and then a, a final playthrough as a dwarf noble warrior. That is was maybe my favorite one of them all. So yeah, city elf gonna... rogue was actually my first playthrough. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I will almost certainly go back just to check out those other origin stories because left such a positive impression on me. Yeah, it, I mean, each one of them is basically just like a 90-minute short introduction with the common thread being uh, Duncan recruiting you as a Grey Warden at the end. Um, and and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the day, Grey Wardens soon, I promise. But I want to talk a little bit about Elves and Dwarves here um, because Bioware uh, wasn't their first game necessarily, but I think they first rose to prominence in making the Baldur's Gate uh, uh, RPGs in the late 90s, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. And uh, Baldur's Gate is set in the Forgotten Realms uh, world of Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, Dungeons & Dragons has many different planes or settings that they take part in, but Forgotten Realms is one of the most popular ones, and uh, that's where uh, Baldur's Gate takes place. And and, and, uh, Bioware developed Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 as well as Neverwinter Nights, and I think they sort of became known as uh, sort of masters of the fantasy computer RPG. And then they made um, a, an even bigger splash with Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic in twenty in 2003, which was originally an Xbox game, a, an OG Xbox, and then had a PC version like a, a, a short time afterward. So, so the, uh, Bioware sort of made a transition from making PC RPGs to console-focused RPGs. Um, Jade Empire was uh, like KOTOR, um, even though it didn't, it it was it it was an original setting that that resembled um, medieval China and uh, and had um, sort of uh, you know Chinese like uh, what's the word a Wu Zha fantasy as its uh, as sort of its motif. That was also an Xbox first game, um, and then we know that uh, uh, Mass Effect and Dragon Age were huge on the 360 and eventually the PS3 as well. Uh, but th- all this is just to say that Bioware stopped making D and D and Star Wars games. Not because of lack of interest, but because just they uh, they wanted more freedom or more money uh, with those licenses and ended up losing said licenses. Uh, Kotor Two was not developed by Bioware. That was um, yeah, that was made by Obsidian, um, the Fallout New Vegas and uh, the Outer Worlds guys. Sort of almost as a replacement for the D and D and Star Wars license, uh, Bioware put a lot of time and effort into their own sci-fi world in Mass Effect and their own fantasy world in Dragon Age. So Dragon Age is almost Bioware's uh, v- like mostly original take on traditional Western fantasy, which, you know, has, is goes back to D&D and then Tolkien and then, and then, you know, like Norse myth before that. But elf and dwarfs and human societies interact in a really unusual way in, in uh, Dragon Age. Um, elves are not the sort of enlightened, taller than humans, uh, uh, sort sort of like high magic, full of lore species. They're they're sort of downtrodden. Elves were a dominant species in the Dragon Age world centuries earlier, 
um, but their gods have uh, uh, have retreated or disappeared. Um, there are second class citizens in human cities, and there's colonies of them living in the in in forests, try, trying to make it on their own, called Dalish elves. Uh, and dwarves uh, used to be possibly even bigger than the elves, but um, they and they live mostly in underground cities called Tigs. And we'll talk about Orzammar, the big Tig in Dragon Age, uh, probably in in part two of this podcast. But they have a like both a caste system where your uh, your profession is set uh, is set um, at your birth, but also a hyper meritocracy that encourages competition and 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 hard work in a i don't know if it's if it's exactly capitalism or not but it's it's a uh, it's a weird caste meritocracy where anyone that uh is that is is strong or successful enough can end up can end up being made into an elder or a uh, or someone worthy of like legendary status like it's the dwarven society and elven society are in different stages than we're used to them being in for western fantasy mm. like this at least at least from my limited perspective uh because i i've i've played let's say fewer than uh 10 sessions of tnd in my entire life and but but yeah humans are semi-dominant there's a, a lot of different warring human nations but right now they are sort of the uh the the leading of the of those three traditional fantasy races in this uh point in dragon ages uh timeline um this one takes place in ferelden which is uh you know fake england uh, over to the west is Orlais, aka Fake France, and to the north are the Free Marches, aka small kingdoms and fiefdoms in Central Europe, and uh, north of that is the Deventer Imperium, aka Fake Roman Empire. So uh, this is in Fake England. I went with a human noble origin this time. I'm playing a rogue, and uh, basically a fun backstabby rogue. I mostly wanted to do it to see um, Tim Curry murder my dad. <laughs> Uh, Tim Curry's the is uh, is uh, he plays Arl Howe, who's a minor antagonist in Dragon Age, who's introduced in the Human Noble Origin. Uh, but in every origin in this game, um, uh, there's a Grey Warden named Duncan who's looking to recruit more Grey Wardens. Grey Wardens are an order that uh, of of warriors and mages and scholars that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, dedicated to fighting Darkspawn. And Darkspawn are vaguely undead, vaguely demonic monsters. Um, that are that live mostly underground and come as hordes or scourges every every several decades and uh and there's dark spawn activity so um uh so duncan's going around recruiting as many promising uh young people as he can to be new, the next gray wardens and that includes you the player character duncan visits high ever which is where the where the human nobles family rules as the uh as the as the local lord which is called a tern um, so, and uh, he intends to recruit one of your guardsmen, who's like a young, promising captain of the guard. But uh, but your father is betrayed by Tim Curry, Arl Howe, one of his vassals. Um, uh, your older brother uh, leaves to fight the Darkspawn, and um, and Duncan, who intended to uh, recruit this captain of the guard, escapes with you and your mother. Um, well, no, no. Well, you're, you're actually both of your parents die. It's my bad. Um, Duncan escapes with you while your mom and the captain of the guard sort of hold off the uh, the Arl's men. Um, and and so Duncan intended to recruit this other guy, but ends up recruiting you instead. But no matter what your origin choice is, you end up following Duncan to the front lines at Ostagar, which is uh, sort of where the chat where chapter two of the game takes place. You meet the king of Ferelden, who is a uh, 
you know, bit of a himbo, uh, King Kalen. <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on King Kalen um, when you first uh, meet, meet him in the game? Do, do you think he's a buffoon or well-meaning or I, I or I don't know? He's like a golden retriever. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. My 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 dwarf definitely wasn't too too impressed by him. He he was a little too too full of pageantry for my liking. Yeah, he he really believes in every bit of heroic fantasy out there, and it makes it pretty much any origin you play makes it very clear that this is not the kind of world you live in. Mm. So you're able to pretty quickly tell that this guy is in over his head, even though he thinks he's not. I feel like in this game where blood is exploding around you all the time and the blood splatter remains on you, uh, even during cutscenes after battles, uh, King Kalen showing in it, showing up in spotless golden armor, uh, talking about being a hero, just like the wars, the darkspawn wars and legends. Like he, he comes across as well-meaning and maybe even, you know, relatively smart and strong. Like, I don't think he's a complete moron. But he's he's like a golden retriever. He's completely naive and here for a good time, which is not what Dragon Age is here. Like the most many most characters in Dragon Age are not here for a good time. Yeah, it's like the it's like the game is using him as a, a narrative device to show you, oh, this is a dark fantasy world, uh, where this guy is is not it. Yeah, and basically they underestimate the Darkspawn badly at Ars- at Ostagar. You meet several characters. You learn a little bit about Templars and mages and elves and dwarves just by talking to people around. Uh, you you get to uh, 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 do some missions out in, in uh, a wilderness area called the Kokari Wilds. You can uh, you heal a poisoned dog um, that uh, eventually joins your party as a steadfast companion, unless you do the human noble origin, in which case the dog is your dog just from the kennels in the castle, and he, and he follows you to Ostagar. Uh, basically it's an introductory chapter you meet two other uh um gray warden recruits named davith and jory and after you do some questing around and uh and you meet a witch named flemeth and her daughter morrigan uh you meet uh duncan's gray warden uh, uh kohai i guess you could say uh alistair and basically you officially become a gray warden when you drink a concoction that includes darkspawn blood and again darkspawn are basically orcs goblins ogres like demon spawn of sorts led by a giant evil dragon called an archdemon but the, the joining ritual um kills davith and then when jory decides to quit and not do the origin uh duncan just murders him in cold blood right in front of you uh giving you just again communicating how much of a, how dark this dark fantasy is but the joining ritual is successful with you and you officially become a gray warden and uh but the ostagar siege goes so badly they underestimated the size of the darkspawn and um Terran Loghain who was the second in command of the armies after King Kalen and commanded a, a large uh, portion of the force on his own decides to abandon the uh, Kalen's army instead of support him in fighting the darkspawn so uh and then Duncan dies on the front line uh protecting King Kalen so you and Alistair get out of there you meet up with Morrigan Flemeth's daughter again and uh, you you come up with the idea. Wait a second. We have these ancient Grey Warden pacts from centuries ago that uh, the, the the mages of this of the ma- magic circle, the Dalish Elvish tribes, the dwarves, and the dwarves of Ozamar are, are pledged to help us if a dark spawn dark spawn threat arises. And uh, Alistair, who is maybe the illegitimate son of a uh, 
of, of the Earl of Redcliffe, a, a very um, wealthy, powerful nobleman in the uh, in the uh, 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 southwestern part of Ferelden. He says, "Hey, what if we go to my? Uh, why don't we go to the Earl of Redcliffe and get and get a human army from there?" So after Ostagar, it's you, your dog, Alistair, and Morrigan, um, trying to recruit as many forces as you can from these different quarters of corners of Ferelden uh, to fight the threat of the Darkspawn. And you start out in a small town called Lothering, but after that, you basically can do those mid-game quests in any order that you want. And if that sounds a little bit like the recruitment arc in uh, Mass Effect 2 or the uh, the different beacons to activate in, in Knights of the Old Republic, uh, that is kind of the Bioware formula of this era. Um, a, a dramatic opening piece, set piece then options and side quests and uh, and some self-determined order in the middle part parts of the game with some with some scripted sections of course and then a big dramatic finale and that is maybe being a little bit too uh, non-specific in, in describing the Bioware formula but I think it's accurate. Um, so uh, starting with you, Alex, this Ostagar portion of the game maybe going into the uh, the early open-ended section what was one or two scenes that jumped out out to you and how did you feel about this part of the game um i mean i just want to say like that uh that battle at the against the dark spawn like that that must have been so cool at the time of its release um because that the way that battle is shot that cutscene, um just just feels like ripping straight from uh lord of the rings two towers um with just like the way that like they show like the archers all shooting and the dark spawn charging in and uh it's a very cool cutscene, but it's just like yeah that these developers know exactly what they're doing just playing into the 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 still existing hype from the lord of the rings trilogy um but uh yeah that, that was definitely a cool moment um i i love the dog too um, I, I've been debating whether to make the dog a main party member. I also just kept his name as Dog because I, I think it serves its purpose. Uh, even though, though he's a little ugly dude, uh, gotta love him. Oh yeah, he lo he looks like sort of a monstrous massive uh, mastiff or pit bull with just a giant chest. He he actually counts as a warrior class and can learn some warrior skills, but he doesn't. But I, I think I think Dog isn't very useful in the late game because he he can't equip a specialization. He doesn't really equip much armor or weapons, but but dog is dog is surprisingly survivable and strong in the early parts of the game. Yeah, it's definitely not a, a practical choice, and I probably won't continue to use them just for just for that reason. But uh, I, I I would like to do a playthrough maybe one day of just me and me and dog just going through the whole game. I I, I think the most popular non-canon name for dog uh, is from a Penny Arcade comic of around the time. Uh, where uh, where they named him Barkspawn. Oh, and, nice! And so so <laughs> I, I I think Barkspawn is sort of the community fan favorite name for Dog. Although he uh, although Dog does not have a canon name. Yeah, he, he'll he'll always be Dog in my heart. But but Barkspawn's good. But um, yeah, aside from just that that setup and like uh, the battle and how it leads into the the really jarring uh, twist with like drinking the blood and seeing that, that murder happen. Uh, th that was all like a great, great tone setter for the game. Um, but aside from that, just like the being introduced to uh, Alistair and, and Morgan, like these are, these are two of the, the best 
Bioware characters uh, from from this era, uh, as far as I can tell. And I know that's kind of like their reputation as well. But uh, there, there's no way these two are leaving my party because they are just so well voice acted, so cleverly written. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I love them both, even though it's it's hard to appease both of them at the same time because because morally they're they're quite different. Uh, I want to talk about the moral system briefly. Uh, this is not a binary mor- uh, morality system like uh, like Kotor or Jade Empire or Mass Effect, which basically have a you know blue is good, red is bad mm. system. Um, uh, Dragon Age does not have any morality meter at all, but each individual one of your companions has their own uh, opinion meter about you, except for Dog, whose opinion meter is at one hundred permanently. Um, As it should. That, that's not that's not a joke. That's just the truth. But uh, like reacting differently in different situations will have pluses or minus occur to whoever's with you at the time. So and and you can manipulate that. Like there's a bunch of items that you can buy to just feed to just feed people reputation points, and they'll love you anyway. Uh, but but also it's it's also not a bad idea. It's like if you if you're planning on supporting uh, uh, mages' freedom, then you bring along Morrigan, and maybe don't bring along Alistair. But if you want to support like chantry stuff. And then you maybe want to bring along Leliana and Alistair and don't bring along uh, uh, Morgan or Sten. Like that, like that situations like that where there, it, there's individualist systems, but not a total uh, a binary morality system. Um, but Wes, uh, these early chapters say um, origin to Ostagar to Lothering. What are some scenes that stood out to you or, or a memory that you uh, that took away very vividly? One of them has to be the the wannabe gray wardens that join you in Ostagar while, when you go out into the wilds um, simply because it, it's one of the first illustrations that, Hey, this is a lethal story. Not everyone's going to make it through alive. And it really raises the stakes by giving you these characters for a little bit and kind of sort of getting to know them a little bit um, before they, you know, fail to become gray wardens in pretty spectacular fashion. Um, I also love Alistair a whole lot just because he he could very easily be another Karth, um, which I mean in a derogatory term. Um, sorry, Karth fans. There, um, there should be no Karth fans. <laughs> I've I've seen. Oh do you, oh do you mean uh, uh, Karth the, the 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 cowboy um re- uh, rebel from uh, Kotor? Yes. Whatever K- Karth just goes pew pew pew. Karth's fine. <laughs> yeah, but Alistair fi- has an actual personality. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, he he doesn't exactly stand out in a game that has uh, that has freaking HK forty seven in it. Exactly, he he's one of those. Why would I take him when I have? But Alistair never falls into that trap, which is an easy trap to fall into. For like, you have this character that's going to be with you the whole time. They're going to be kind of your 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 main point of contact in a lot of ways. We got to make them inoffensive as possible. Alistair actually has personality, um, which I absolutely adore. But what what really got me the first time I played this um, was going to Lothering and doing all those quests and trying to save people, trying to help people, um, doing all kinds of work um, to try to improve the lives of these people, and then leaving and realizing, oh, I can't go back. Why can't I go back? Oh, no. Lothering did not have a good time after I left. Yeah, a- after you finish one of the uh, of the sort of four main middle game quests... Um, after you finish one, Lothering is wiped out by the Darkspawn, and you can't go back to it. 
you can spend a decent amount of time in their side questing. Um, you, you can. And you meet a number of important party members there, too. Yeah, you meet Sten, who's a Kanari warrior uh, who was who was captured and left to be out for bait for the Darkspawn. But you're able to free him and he'll join you. Uh, Kanari are a, uh, a group of people from the tropical equator of, uh, of the world of Dragon Age. They, they resemble minotaurs a little bit. They're very tall and they uh, and horned. Their their culture is really unique, and a lot of the conversations with Sten are introduction are introductions to Kanari culture. Um, uh, there's a there's a big Kanari sort of uh, portion of the main quest in Dragon Age Two, and you get another and you get a very memorable Kanari party member in Dragon Age Three. I don't think they let you be a Kanari until Dragon Age Three, though. You correct. You, you have to be. You, it's only um, human, elf, or dwarf in Oranges, and human only in Two. Uh, which which is disappointing because the Canari are so cool. I wanted to be a Canari like from the moment I learned about them. It's kind of interesting how Sten doesn't have any horns due to you know various technical limitations. Uh, yeah. Last I read, but yeah, I, I think they intended them to have horns from the beginning. <laughs> yes, they did. But uh, because of those technical limitations, they was like, oh no, um, Sten is a an exiled Canari warrior that had his horns broken. <laughs> They came up, came up with something, and eventually it kind of fed into the lore of the Canari, kind of adopting foundlings as well, um, which is its own thing that's not really part of Dragon Age Origins. So maybe I won't go too deep into that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Iron Bull's uh, mercenary company in Dragon Age Inquisition does not have a ton of Canari in it for uh, because of how unique Canari culture is and how unique Iron Bull is. But uh, but but yes, um, Sten is sort of your starting two-hand warrior if uh, if alistair is your sword and shield warrior um you also get a uh, uh a a rogue straight away in lothering in leliana the bard uh she's sort of equally good with bows and knives but she starts with a bunch of bow talents so they, they sort of nudge you into giving her bows um but she's a, a from orlay and so when she was a trained uh uh sort of handmaiden for a long time so she sort of knows the nobility and aristocracy and knows a lot of stories, but also in the world of dragon age bards are spies. So she was, so she's technically an Orlesian ex spy living in Ferelden. Uh, so she, she's, she's interesting. And because she loves myths and legends at camp, she can just tell you a bunch of myths and legends off, off of the dome, which is another sort of fun way to introduce your, uh, uh, the player to the world of dragon age. And, um, I hate to get, you know, weird and gross right away, but uh Wes, Alistair, Morrigan, Leliana, and Zevrin, your uh your elf assassin who joins later in the game. Has Bioware ever had a better set of romance options? I, I'm not sure. I, I swear Zevrin uh made me realize I was bisexual. I will never not love this group of romanceable characters. <laughs> I love all four of them so much. I am a straight male and I kinda wanna marry Alistair. Yes. Just, just, just anyway. Um, and uh, I, I, rem yeah, I just remembered basically playing a, a straight male mage, um, 12 years ago and being genuinely torn about whether I should marry Morrigan or Leliana because I loved them both so much. But then I accidentally said something to offend Morrigan. So I ended up going Leliana anyway. It's very easy to accidentally offend Morrigan. I find. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Morrigan's awesome, and Claudia Black had an amazing 2009 because she also yes. she's also the best character in, in Uncharted 2. Um, 
but or, or was that or was that 2011? Ah, whatever, it's not important. But the uh, yeah, uh, awesome performances, awesome dialogue, extremely lovable main cast, and uh, and Dog is a very good boy. Gotta pet him every time I'm in camp. Uh, have, have you seen the conversation that Sten and Dog have together? <laughs> yes. 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 They, they, they growl and bark at each other for a few times, and then Sten goes, you are a noble warrior yeah. and, 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 worthy, and worthy of respect. And Dog's like, happy bark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say that I've learned uh, much at all about Canari culture yet, because I, I can't get through to Sten. No, Sten is so is rough. He is rough. I mean, I think it's it's interesting that he's so hyper focused on the mission and paying what he feels like is a debt that uh, th- that he comes across as very standoffish and almost and, and almost like unusually single minded. But also, um, his gift items for getting on his good side are paintings. Like he like he loves nature. Oh. He loves nature and art, and uh, he has a sort of respect for nature and art that you could unfavorably uh, compare to like, you know, a white person's interpretation of native culture, but, but also just makes him just, he he has a sensitive soul in there. It's just kind of hard to reach. Um, Unlike Ogren, who is, who, uh, who's, you know, all all of his gift items are alcohol. So, you know, exactly what Ogren's all about. And then Zevran, who is usually the last character that you meet other than the secret character that I don't want to spoil for Alex, in case you uh, don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Oh, do you know who the secret last character is? No idea. Good. Okay. Wes, don't say anything. I say nothing. Um, Zevran's usually the last character that you meet because I think you need to meet him in Denerim, uh, which is the capital city, after you've done at least one of the Grey Warden uh, quests, I think. I could be off on that. But he attempts to kill you. Uh, you decide to uh, recruit him instead. He's a very sassy, very... Uh, a uh, very flirtatious elven assassin um and he and he's great but i but he's probably my least favorite of the four romance options just because i like alistair morrigan and Luliana so much as easy as it is to accidentally offend morgan it's that easy to accidentally date zevran yep yep oh, oh, <laughs> he's, he's the anders of this game you mean of course yes yeah yes he is very open uh i i think he's absolutely fantastic but everyone else does get a little bit more more time and depth and stuff like that. Um, just because you have to find Zevran a little bit later. Very well, but also very annoyingly. I, I hope you'll get where I'm coming from. The, uh, this was definitely the era of party chat where, um, depending on who was in your party, they would, there would be side conversations taking place, uh, while you were doing other things. And so this, this is some excellent dialogue. Like, like, like having Morgan tease Alistair is incredible every time. And, um, and 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 Ogren trying to hit on on even Win is hilarious, uh, which is weird because part of Ogren's um, storyline is him trying to reconnect with his ex wife. Uh, but uh, like like there's a lot of really cool optional dialogue that comes up semi organically, and this is I think uh, this is not the first game to do it or even the tenth game to do it, but this felt like you know a moment of good dialogue in console games that there wasn't a lot like it before. But the other thing that I have a bit more of a problem with is this is definitely the era of a little too much lore. I swear you cannot pick up a lore scroll without tripping over two other lore scrolls. There is so much 
world building and story development that they did into Dragon Age. And so much of it is hidden in just documents in menus or books that you pick up off the ground. Uh, again, this is this is right in between uh, uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion and Elder Scrolls Skyrim. But like, I, I feel like that they that there's almost too much expository dialogue sometimes. And, and there's even more hidden lore in in all of the books and scrolls and menus that you that you delve in in this game. Like, uh, did you feel like that this game has slightly too much reading or am I just too jaded and uh, have too many podcast games to schedule? No, it's it's absolutely uh, playing off of the two like extremely successful Bethesda titles just coming out in the years prior with yeah Oblivion and, and Fallout Three. Um, so I, I think they were very consciously trying to lean into it. They're like, oh, people like reading books in the middle of their playthrough. Let's let's throw in lots of books. And I, I'm sure they were Bioware. Like this is like they were using the D and D property for so long that I'm sure they were they were very proud of of this world that they built uh through just like their own originality so i'm sure they just want to show off with it as well um but with that said um i, I can't say i've been reading a ton of, ton of those documents aside from the ones uh i actually did have a really good time reading more about like kind of dwarven culture and dwarven history uh just in that beginning origin section but after that uh haven't been haven't been doing too much uh secondary reading but yeah i i feel like this is just a game that has amazing world building and backstory, but they just give a, a little bit too much of it. it it's, I, I don't know. Like, um, uh, Wes, I always want to play games that feel like they're part of a huge world and story, but I don't necessarily need to know every detail of that world, huge world and story. Yeah. I, I end up not reading a lot of the extra stuff, just like I, don't in real life read every book about every topic. Um, just read the stuff that interests me. Uh, and I think it's kind of unnecessary in Dragon Age. Dragon Age has this big, dense, lore-filled world, and it unveils a lot of it through actual gameplay and conversation. Um, so much so that the books almost feel unnecessary, and the extra lore entries and the codexes and all that. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It's It's... Like, this is an amazing world with amazing lore, but there's a little bit too much actual text of the lore <laughs> that, I, that I think they could have done without. But but I feel like this was, this is just that era. Like, I mean, I, I know this game wasn't wasn't one of the first to have uh, to have side dialogue while you're walking around. But but this is like that era of um, playing Bioshock and finding audio diaries littered, littered everywhere mm-hmm. or unlocking so many lore entries that there are dozens of menus to navigate to find them. It, it 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 just feels emblematic of an RPG, especially a Western RP, developed RPG of that time. But uh, let's see. You know, I, I don't think we have enough time to talk about every single one of those mid-game quests. Uh, so, and, and again, the, the, the four main ones are Red Cliff, the Dalish Camp, the Circle Tower, and Orzammar. Uh, and, and Orzammar and Red Cliff sort of spin off into, into larger uh, sort of second half quests. But uh, but I think all three of us have done Circle Mate, uh, Circle Tower already, so let's talk about that one a little bit. Um, the Circle Tower, where you try to go recruit mages to your cause uh, to battle the Darkspawn, um, really is the the harsher introduction into uh, the plight of mages and the role of Templars in Dragon Age. Because uh, uh, mages, magic is super powerful, but mages access their magic powers by going into 
a sort of dream dimension called the Fade. And there's a lot of power that they draw from the Fade, but also the demons of the Fade try to possess humans of the real world to manifest themselves in the real world. So real demons and possession and, and some such are all connected to this world called the Fade. And because of an ancient legend of Tevinter mages, again, Tevinter was an empire in power centuries earlier, um, Tevinter mages like creating the corruption and darkspawn in in uh in in chantry lore chantry is the the church system of this world uh basically the church keeps an extremely tight leash on mages um both for the uh so they don't hurt themselves or those around them but also so they don't uh defile uh the will of the maker which is the the god worshipped by the by the chantry and and also because in chantry in the in the chantry texts mages were a force of evil and templars are um special knights that are treated with lyrium which is a, a a stone with magical properties to give them magic resistance and they're basically sort of the the police and jailers um that of the mages and there's a lot of do you side with the templars and and be harsh to mages or do you side with mages and and lean towards more freedom and more power and but also more risk and again uh, and uh uh Alistair is a former Templar, so he's definitely on the side of the Templars. Morrigan is a witch who's been living as a free mage, um, un unregulated by Templars her whole life, so she's sort of anti-Templar. Wynne, is, uh, who joins your party in the Circle Towers quests, is a mage that grew up in the Circle. So she is, so, so she is a, a supporter of the Chantry, but also um, wants her, mages to, uh, her mage brethren to be protected and 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 saved rather than wiped out if there's a if there's a hint of demon activity again if you're in a conversation with like cullen the the, the tortured templar or gregoire the the leader of the templars be careful what you say around morrigan or alistair because if, if you if you go against their beliefs a lot you'll get they'll uh, they'll they'll lose you'll lose points with them and uh, and that and if you get too negative with a party member they can just straight up leave uh, and in fact, there's a uh, there's a sort of religious toned quest later in the game called the Urn of Sacred Ashes. I'm not sure if you're there yet, Alex. Uh, but, uh, no, no. But yeah, no. If you if you choose a sort of a blasphemous route in Urn of Sacred Ashes with Alistair, Wynne, or Leliana in your party, because they're sort of the three most pro Chantry people, mm. they can even turn against you in that in that mission. Interesting. So so just but but again, that's only if you if you make the most blasphemous choice. But um, well, I'm I'm still just gonna have uh, Alistair and, and Morgan in my party all the time and, and see what happens. There's there's already been like so many conflicts between them where I've upset one or the other. Uh, but honestly, it's been part of the joy of this playthrough. Yeah. Uh, especially in the early on in the uh, uh, in the the Circle Tower, um, when you first meet uh, Win and the other Circle Mages, um, Morgan essentially like prompts you to attack them um and I, I initially just followed that whim just to see what happened uh and i didn't think it would just lead to uh, a mandatory battle where i killed win and all the mages uh, and i ended up loading that because win's like one of the major characters and i wanted to see what happens with her but i was surprised that morgan's essentially like let's kill these uh these weak ass mages yeah i mean morgan is morgan is a force of chaos a little bit and uh, and you can get into situations where you you fight um, 
and even kill your party members if you disagree with them or if your reputation with them is very low. Uh, and, and also several of the main characters, not all of them, have a dedicated side quest. And, and if you complete or not or fail to complete that side quest will affect um, how, they, how they treat you at the very end of the game. So in general, making friends is a good idea, but we, you can't always have it both ways. And, let, and, and it, basically, I'm not saying you'll necessarily want to do this, Alex, but if you want to go a very blasphemous route in the Urn of Sacred Ashes quest, don't bring Alistair Wynn or Liliana in your group. <laughs> Bad things will happen. <laughs> should I tempt the... Should I invite the evil into my playthrough? Let, let, let's see what happens. Stay hey, tuned no, just, for, for part two. No, just bring around uh, Morrigan, Ogryn, and Zevran, and, and you'll be fine. So the you're saying that it's not like a bad in an interesting kind of way. It's just kind of bad in a bad way. It's very interesting, but I also am a people pleaser, and I don't want more. I don't want Liliana and Alistair, my 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 beautiful golden retrievers, to leave my party. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Hmm. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens then. But anyway, the Circle Tower, um, you uh, end, end up fighting a bunch of abominations uh, and, and demons and possessed Templars. Um, there, there was an attempted mage coup that the Templars are trying to contain, and you can choose to either wipe out all the mages, um, and, and after which the Templars will lend you forces for the final battle, or save the mages, convince the leader of the Templars that the mages can still, you know, are, are, are not a danger to themselves or others anymore. And then you'll have mages join you for the final battle against the against the darkspawn, um, and it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. Just than the simple A or B choice, um, but the the uh, maybe the most uh, notorious part of this quest is a sort of a puzzle centric dungeon called the Fade, or <laughs> just well, I mean the the Fade is the concept of sort of the dream world, the ultimate dimension in Dragon Age, but in Dragon Age Origins, the Fade refers to a puzzle dungeon in the middle of the circle tower quest and oh boy it's a it's it's a zoo and a maze and and uh and 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 sort of interesting but also tedious unless you are unless you sort of already have a good grasp of what to do but um alex if if this was your first time going through the fade quests uh uh, what how, how did it treat you uh it was a little confusing um I, I did enjoy the fact that they were trying to do something interesting uh, mechanics-wise with the uh, the Circle Tower, not just to make it kind of just like a gauntlet of, of battles or anything like that. So on that angle, uh, I did appreciate the, the puzzles. Um, did struggle a little bit, uh, can't lie. But um, <laughs> uh, I cut through it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad they went for it. I, I'm not sure if it's uh, it was beautifully designed or anything like that but uh it was, it was interesting at least you don't pick up loot in the fade but there are about 20 permanent stat boosts that are and and, and a full stat point boost is fairly impactful in dragon age where you're where you know your high-end stats are unlikely to cross 50 i i just find the fade so tedious because if you want to find everything there you have to do a, a fair amount of backtracking because you have to find the four transformations. Golem can golems can break down doors. Uh, the Burning Man can walk through fire. The, uh, the 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 spirit form can go through ethereal doors, and then the mouse can go through mouse uh, mouse holes. But like backtracking to oh where was that uh, 
where was that sealed door and where was that burning wall in that other part of the dungeon? It, it, it's it, it's sort of tedious and hard to understand until you sort of unlock all four abilities. But it's 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 not very intuitive where to proceed in that quest. So no, th- there's no doubt it's tedious. Yeah, it's not exactly a prime Metroidvania kind of. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's a little going around in circles but but it's not bad and it is sort of clever um what what are you what's your uh feeling on those fade uh the, the fade dungeon within a dungeon wes i thought it was pretty neat in some elements uh, especially playing through as a mage there's some different dialogue that's pretty interesting but you know i've played through the game a number of times and it just kind of gets more tedious each time <laughs> um and even the first time it was just like Alex, I had trouble figuring out exactly what to do at times and just kind of having to go back and forth and back and forth. And okay, I found this. Where was that last thing that I needed to unlock with this transformation? And um, lore wise, I think it's really interesting. Gameplay wise, it could have used some editing. I totally agree. And and uh, in, also sort of infamously, there is a patch developed by fans to just skip the fade where you'll, you'll, you'll be trapped with, you'll be trapped within the fade and then it'll do a cutscene of you waking up from the dream and it'll give you all 20 uh, stat points and, and, uh, and an appropriate amount of experience points uh, for having done it. And that's it. I, I thought about doing that, but I've decided to replay it just to, uh, you know, just, just so this playthrough remained honest and authentic I, experience yeah, yeah. And, and and i could you know speak about it with a recent memory and not a and not a vague hateful memory from 12 years ago uh, a new hateful me- sorry yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> a concrete hateful memory from 20 minutes ago <laughs> uh, but the uh it, it again i think it's it's more interesting in concept than execution and just and yeah. just you know my own um rpg uh fastidiousness of wanting to find every treasure chest made it worse on myself but whatever, the fade's over. Now I can actually have fun in Orzammar because the, the Dwarven Kingdom is where it's at. Alex, oh, it really I can't is. wait to go back oh, and boy. get some sweet, sweet revenge. Oh, but do you want sweet, sweet revenge? Yeah, I mean, mm. I guess we'll see. Let's let's see what Balin we, has to say for himself. We will uh, learn all about uh, Prince Balin and Lord Harrowmont uh, next week. We'll also learn about the um, the Dalish elves versus the forest werewolves conflict. We'll talk about Redcliffe and the Earl Urn of Sacred Ashes. We'll get to know. Uh, we'll we'll uh, see if Alex can figure out who the secret character is before they join your party. Um, we didn't even mention Shale the Golem. We'll we'll save that for next week as well. Um, there's so much to enjoy in Dragon Age Oranges, which I'm aware I'm I've been mostly saying the the citrus way and not the and not the EA way. It, that it it really did captivate me when I played it for the first time, and it was one of my sort of obsessions. Uh, when in my in my mid twenties, um, uh, playing Western RPGs, but I also just want to like shout out like the. The dialogue system, just in comparison to like a lot of the other, like even Bioware games that preceded it, but also just like Western RPGs of kind of like the mid to late two thousands in general, and and like you said, Slosi, like a big part of it is to do with like the replacement of like a binary moral system with like kind of the more uh, character driven morality systems, and that has such a positive effect on. Uh, the different dialogue choices you get, how they can encourage different sorts of, of role-playing of your character uh, without needing to kind of like pander to whatever uh, moral path 
uh, you're, you've essentially chosen uh, that you're going to do for the playthrough. And I, I, I've like Western RPGs in the 2010s have done a much better job of kind of having like nuanced, natural feeling dialogue. And um, I, I didn't realize this was like seemed to be a, a significant starting point for for getting there and getting away from like kind of the first dialogue option being like, oh yes, I will do the thing because I'm a good person. Second dialogue being, I will do the thing, but I want money. And then the third dialogue being like, I'll do it, but also kill you or something like that. Like it's it's so improved. And um, yeah, I, I've had like a, a much better time just having conversations in this game than a lot of the other RPGs of this, of its time. Yeah, they give you a lot of options and th- that and they aren't, and every option isn't necessarily married to a tone like Paragon Renegade in Mass Effect, or even the purple yeah. the purple sassy option that pops up sometimes in Dragon Age Two. Uh, be careful with those sassy options, though, because you can act, you can actually fall into a rom- accidentally fall into a romance when you don't necessarily want one. Sass your way into romance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes, um, w- avoiding spoilers to, so we can get a, a more genuine reaction from Alex next week. Um, but what's something that you're looking forward to talking about in the next episode as someone that I, I know is, uh, has played this game about as much as I have. There are two real big ones. One is just Orzammar in general. Um, y- y'all are talking about how good Orzammar is and how good the Dwarf Origin is. And it's all absolutely right. There's, it, there's it, nothing my, else to it. it. Oh, I can't wait. If I had to pick a favorite location and favorite part of this game, it's Orzammar. It, yes. It it's just straight up is. But I'm also looking forward to the climax because there's just a lot that happens there. Um, and I haven't finished, you know, every playthrough I've ever started. So uh, that's the spot where I get the most like fresh perspective with having a new character. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to try and dance around spoilers a little bit, but there's a bunch of ways uh, that the end game can be set up. A lot of things yes. that can happen. There's yeah. one option I have never done before. And I'm going to try and do that this time. I look forward to talking about it next next episode. Wes, I think you might have an idea of what of what I'm saying. Um, I've got two ideas as to what it could be. <laughs> I you know what? I bet one of them is correct. We'll we'll we'll, we'll message after this recording. But uh, but <laughs> but uh, Alex, there's a lot of ways the end game can go, and it's going to be a really fascinating discussion when when uh, the three of us all get to it next week. I'm nodding in in obliviousness right now. Yeah, no, no, no. You're you're nodding in acknowledgement and some curiosity. I get it. I get it. But uh, uh, listeners, uh, we are going to have plenty more Dragon Age Oranges talk next week. We're going to talk about the other mid-game quests, the end-game stuff. We'll finally talk about Shale, and uh, who was a, a DLC character originally. One of the, maybe Bioware's first DLC character, because I don't think there was DLC sp- uh, sp- uh, character DLC in Mass Effect 1. Um, and, but, and again, the, the, and, uh, and also things like Dragon Age Awakening had us ask the questions like, how much is it okay to pay for, D, for console DLC? But the, 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 those are uh, discussions we'll have next week um, along with Endgame and, uh, and some character-specific stuff. We'll, do more, we'll talk more about Denarim. There's a lot. It, Dragon Age Origins is a many-splendored thing, and we're going to have to save a lot of it for part two of this podcast. Um, but also coming later this month, we're doing um, an episode on Lunar the Silver Star. We did Lunar episodes in 2018, but this time in celebration of RPG fans' 25th anniversary and Lunar the Silver Star's 30th anniversary, all taking place this year, we had we're having multiple reviews of Lunar go up in uh, later this month, and they're going to be for all the different versions of Lunar. Uh, so I think I think someone's playing the Sega CD version, someone's playing the uh, 
the PSP version. Someone's playing the the probably most popular PS1 version. And we're going to also have, uh, alongside those reviews, a, a podcast episode all about Lunar. And that's happening uh, in, uh, I think, in two weeks. But also in December, we are doing a uh, year-end episode that Retro Encounter has done every year since 2015. And we have already started planning out January. Um, big episode 400 is going to be in the middle of January, and we've started planning that out. It's going to be real weird, and I'm not sure it's going to work, but we're going to try. Uh, we have uh, that's So that's still in the planning stages. We're going to do an episode about the Super Mario RPG remake because... We did Super Mario RPG episodes many years ago. I don't even remember when. One of my favorite Super Nintendo RPGs. And I just, I, I have the remake ready to go in my Switch, but I'm not going to start playing it until, until I finish Dragon Age Oranges. So we'll, uh, so yeah, that, that'll be a motivating factor for me to uh, uh, podcast about that game next year. But also we have picked the uh, January game for Retro Encounter. We are doing that anarchic anarchic Japanese indie classic Moon Remix RPG Adventure uh, yes. in January. That is a uh, a somewhat unhinged PlayStation One game that uh, plays with the very conventions and tones of what of what an RPG is and is supposed to do. Um, that was a sort of a, a sort of a an, an almost legendary game to Western audiences that oh this thing's never going to get localized until it did get localized in 2020. So uh, the game is available to a worldwide audience in English for the first time, um, a, a couple of years ago for the first time, and we're finally doing some podcast episodes on it uh, next year. But fortunately, next year is only in about a month. So please look forward to more Dragon Age Oranges, some Lunar the Silver Star, some Super Mario RPG, some Moon Remix RPG Adventure, some 2023 Year in Review, and some Episode 400 all coming in the next seven weeks. But if you have any questions about the next seven weeks of podcasts or Dragon Age Oranges or uh, how many times I said Oranges instead of orange Origins, you can always email us retro at RPGFan.com or find RPGFan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, YouTube, Twitch, threads probably more places i'm forgetting rpg fan also has a store at which is rpgfan.com shop where you can buy apparel coffee mugs accessories all emblazoned with the rpg fan emerald shield and 25th anniversary logos the rpg fan also has two other fine podcasts random encounter about randomness and current games every two weeks and also rhythm encounter every other two weeks about rpg music please review uh, retro encounter and those other podcasts on apple podcasts or google play or spotify or whatever whoever you like to listen to podcasts on um, but if you like, want to listen to us as people and not just as podcast panelists, let's tell the audience how they can find us individually, starting with you, Alex. You can just uh, email me at alexfranicek at gmail.com. Now, Wes. You can find me on Twitter at Wes Iliff or on Blue Sky at Lone Weasel and then whatever else they add for usernames on Blue Sky. Yeah, it's, it's .bsky, uh, .social. I will never remember that, even if uh, I yeah. do remember that, like out of out of some kind of uh, uh, moral imperative here. Yeah, whenever I see B Sky, I want to. I just think Bisky, and I, and I and that's probably that'll probably get people to spell it wrong. But whatever, I know there is one thing I know how to spell, and that is Twitter, which does not include any letter in the alphabet uh, alphabet after W. Um, so uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Real Monsoon, um, or on Instagram or Blue Sky at Evoker for Dogs. Uh, but uh, and oh, oh, and also on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So um, we've done our origin, but we have yet to get to a conclusion, and I cannot wait to reach that 
Alex is our warrior, I'm our rogue, Wes is our mage, and you listeners are our support. Thank you, good night, and good luck.